0: Welcome to the Cohort Sisters podcast, where we bring to life the stories, struggles, and successes of Black women navigating doctoral degree programs and their lives beyond the degree. I'm your host and the founder of Cohort Sisters, Dr. Ijama Kola. Cohort Sistas is an online global network empowering Black women pursuing doctoral degrees by providing resources, mentorship, and community. For more information, please visit our website at CohortSistas.com. You're listening to episode seven of the Cohort Sisters podcast. In this week's episode, I chat with Dr. Claudia Okonkwo, who received her PhD in chemical engineering from the Georgia Institute of Technology last year and currently works for Boston Consulting Group. Dr. Okonkwo talks about adjusting to life in the US after moving from Nigeria to attend college, how she created time during her doctoral degree for extracurricular activities, including a brief modeling career, and how she remained resilient and determined after failing her qualifying exams twice. Let's get into our conversation. So, Dr. Okonkwo, thank you so much for joining us for the Cohort Sisters podcast. I would love to start by just having you introduce yourself and sharing a little bit about who you are, where you're from, and a couple of things that you like to do. Awesome. Thank you so much
1: for having me. So, I am Claudia Okonkwo. You can call me Dr. Claude. (laughs) I was born and raised in Nigeria, actually the first of six kids. And I started off my career in America when I went to college at Northeastern University, after which I went to Georgia Tech for my PhD. And now I'm working at BCG as a consultant. Fun fact about me, I modeled for about two years here in Atlanta, got to walk at a New York fashion show. So that was really exciting. I also love to travel and the most exciting thing I've done in my travel was to fly over the erupting volcano in Hawaii. So that was pretty exciting. That sounds
0: really cool. I've been to Hawaii, but did not fly over an erupting volcano. That sounds so, so cool. I know you're not just going to like slip in. I was a model really casually. Tell us a little bit more about that experience. How did you find time to model while you were doing a whole PhD? What?
1: Yeah, that's a good point. So I loved pictures, um, 5'10", really slender. And I just really loved, you know, just fashion and clothing. And Atlanta is like the hub for that, right? It's the hub for media, a lot of fashion. So I went online and, you know, just connected with a few people on, on Instagram and Facebook and from there, I just started meeting a, a lot of photographers and learning, getting into the modeling space through them. And, uh, I did a few like fashion shows here in Atlanta and I did some shoots as well. And I had like one experience where I went to New York to do a shoot, a uh, fashion show with one of the designers that I met here in Atlanta. And that was really cool and it was exciting. Um, but after a while, I was like, okay, I'm not really making a lot of money from this. And I need to focus on my PhD. So I shifted gears a little bit to, to you know, keep that major focus, especially when I was ramping up to graduate from my PhD. Um, so I, I shifted gears and actually shifted gears into running a nonprofit organization here in Atlanta for a year. So it's uh, called Umu Ibo Unite. So I did that for a year after my modeling thing. So my PhD did give me a lot of flexibility to, you know, explore and kind of gain entrepreneurship experience as well. And I could have only done that through the flexibility of my advisor, as long as I was pushing out results he was always okay with me just having extracurricular activities and actually encouraged that. So that experience was great.
0: Okay, cool. So wow, modeling, we've got running a nonprofit. So you definitely were very busy and active and engaged during your PhD. So we're going to turn to that, um, that time in your PhD in a little bit, but I want to kind of start before the PhD, and kind of go back a little bit. Actually, no, before we go back, what was your dissertation about? Yep.
1: So I did a lot of experimental work and I actually synthesized materials that captured hydrogen sulfide from a biogas stream. So a biogas stream is basically when you have organic matter, compost matter, you have all those things and you compress them in a compressor. And then that gas that goes through it has a mix of methane, hydrogen sulfide sulfide water, CO2, and other like unwanted gases. So the main gas that we want is methane. And to get a high concentration of methane, we need to remove those other unwanted gases like carbon dioxide and hydrogen sulfide. So the focus of my research was actually hydrogen sulfide because it's very poisonous and acidic. And so I basically made materials and tested out materials that have high adsorption capacity for hydrogen sulfide and high selectivity for hydrogen sulfide. Because when you pass the gas through the material, you want it to capture hydrogen sulfide and CO2, but you want to make sure there's no methane being captured because methane is the, the gas that we want. Right. So I spent a lot of time in the lab making and synthesizing synthesizing these materials. I also built a few equipments and automated some systems to be able to run those um, adsorption experiments as well. So high level, that's what I did entirely. And I was able to publish a patent actually on one of the materials that I made because of its high selectivity for h 2s So that was pretty
0: cool. That's awesome. Congratulations. So I know you said that was high level, but that may have gone over some people's heads. (laughs) Can you maybe share what the Practical applications or, you know, real life usage of your research could possibly be so
1: We have this thing that Elon Musk has been talking about, which is carbon capture, right? This huge climate change that we're trying to solve. So these materials are capable of participating in that um, solution, which is to capture carbon from the air. You can actually use these materials in large scale to capture carbon. So overall, the goal of my research was to reduce climate change and provide other renewable sources of energy that we can use for transportation, electricity and all. Well, um, most of our daily activities.
0: Okay, now I understand. I got it now. That is super clear, super cool, really important work. So, how did you get interested in in that kind of work, and how did you get interested in doing a PhD in the first place? Very good question. So, when I actually started out in undergrad, I
1: started out undeclared. I had no idea what I wanted to do. <laughs> My mom wanted me to be a doctor. If you're not a doctor or a lawyer, it's not. It's not. <laughs> it's not important according to them. Um, But for me, it was important that I did something that I was really passionate about. And so being undeclared in college actually gave me the opportunity to explore all my options. And so I got the opportunity to do chemistry, physics, biology in my first semester, did all these classes. And I realized that I really loved chemistry, the chemistry class, especially because it was very challenging to me. And so I picked up the chemistry class, talked to a lot of my mentors and advisors about, you know, what the next step would be in choosing a um, uh, major. And I went to a few workshops to learn about what the different majors are all about. And I saw chemical engineering and I was like, oh, I really like chemistry. Chemical engineering sounds interesting. And so that's kind of how I decided to get into chem- chemical engineering. So with chemical engineering, in my last semester, I did some um, computational work where it's not, mo- not mostly experimental, but just mostly computational work. And it was focused on kind of determining different energies of molecules and how, they, how to remove those molecules from biogas. That was what I did in undergrad. And I really enjoyed that. And so with that experience, and actually even looking back to my primary school days, I did like this project in primary school where we were looking at fluorocarbons and how we can remove fluorocarbons from the air. And I was really excited about that work. So right from primary school, I've always had that zeal and interest for energy. And once I got to the grad school process, I started talking to a lot of the professors and I was really interested in the work that my advisor at that time was doing, which was in carbon capture and in energy. And so I, I said, hmm, this looks really exciting. I, I get to move away from the computational side of things now to more of the hands on experimental side. And I would love to, you know, be a part of that. And as a result, I actually ended up joining the group and doing research on an area that was very, with very little knowledge because hydrogen sulfide is a poisonous gas. So not a lot of people do experiments with that gas. And so I just saw it as an area where there's so much innovation yet to be discovered. And so that really ex- excited me and I decided to, to, to do
0: that. Mm-hmm. Nice. So even from when you were little, when you were in elementary school or primary school, you knew like the inkling was already there that you were going to be a scientist. You were going to work with energy, with fluorocarbon. So that is really, really cool. I'm curious, how was the adjustment from moving from Nigeria to the U.S. as an adult? You know, I made the move when I was a baby, so I know nothing. But (laughs) as an adult, how was that adjustment for you?
1: Yeah. So luckily, before I actually moved to America, my family and I always visited for the holidays. And so the culture shock was not as shocking as would have been if I had never, you know, visited or had the summers here and had family and friends here. So that gave me an advantage to the point where once I got into college, I knew what the culture, the American culture was like, although there were still some things that like were surprising to me. But the good thing was I had that Nigerian zeal and focus before I came as well, because sometimes when you go, you know, to a new country, a new place, there's all these shiny objects that you want to play with. But for me, I already experienced a lot of those shiny objects when I visited. So once I started college, it was more of like the focus on, you know, these are my goals. This is where I I want to be by the end of this program. And just kind of focusing on that. Also grew up with a family where education was really, really important. So once I started school, it was easy to kind of just stay focused and stay on track on, on to achieve what I had um, set out. Yeah,
0: nice. Okay, so now let's talk about getting into a doctoral program. How did you decide which programs to apply to? How did you end up in Atlanta?
1: Yep, so interestingly, um, while I was wrapping up undergrad, I didn't really know what a PhD was. I had no idea that there was something called a PhD that you can, you know, obtain. <laughs> but during that, you know, search for a job, I was really interested in energy, oil and gas in specific, uh, in particular, I was like, okay, yeah, as a chemical engineer, ExxonMobil is the prime of the prime, the only job that I, I need, like I want, I don't want any other job because, you know, that's where I need to be. And so I went into the office with my, my, adv- my My mentor at that time at Northeastern, Richard Harris. And I sat there and I was like, man, I want to get into Exxon. I want to do industry. I'm applying to all these jobs. And he was like, Claudia, I don't think your journey is done yet. Have you thought about grad school? And I was like, what is grad school? (laughs) I just want to make money. And then he was like, Well, in grad school, you get paid to do research. And I was like, Oh, you get paid? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Oh, okay. Um, Let me research a little bit more about this grad school. And so that's kind of how I started doing my personal research to look at the schools. And I was like, okay, I'll apply to these schools. So I applied to Georgia Tech. I applied to Virginia Tech. I applied to Northwestern. And so actually, I didn't initially apply to Virginia Tech. Someone actually, a recruiter actually reached out to me because i had applied for a few fellowships online so they reached out to me and they they told me to apply because they were really interested in in my cv and so i actually ended up applying to virginia tech because someone had told me look you have to apply we're going to give you a fellowship you know to come here and so that's another like flag right okay fellowships i need to figure out what fellowships are and how i can get those because it, it sounds good and so <laughs> and so i ended up applying for the gem fellowship and of getting into Virginia Tech I also got into Georgia Tech got into Northwestern but Northwestern was asking me to do a different major than I had applied for and I was like okay no I'm not doing that well, but Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech so I went to Georgia Tech and I just absolutely loved the campus I also loved that it was very warm there because I had I was just coming from Boston which was very cold I wanted to be somewhere warm and I spoke to that advisor I told you about and once I spoke to him I was like I could really see myself here I could see myself in this group doing the work that they're doing, because this is basically what I've been looking for. And so because I had that connection with the Georgia Tech advisor, Chris Jones, I was like, okay, I want to come here. I love the campus. I love the city. I found a group that I think I would really fit in well with, but they weren't giving me that other fellowship that Virginia Tech was giving me, right? And so it was like, okay, how do I get that? here. And so I had to do my own work. And so I reached out to the rep of that fellowship on tech. And I was like, Hey, really want to come here, but you guys need to offer me this fellowship. (laughs) And so after a lot of back and forth emailing, visiting the offices, I actually got the fellowship that I, I was going to get at Virginia Tech and I was like, okay, this is now a no-brainer. And so that's how I accepted um, my the offer from Georgia Tech.
0: Nice. You were hustling. You were like, I'm going to get this money. That is so, that's such good advice. I've never heard anyone share that advice. Essentially, if there's a fellowship that exists at multiple schools, you've gotten it at one school, just go talk to the program manager at the other school and, and- fight for it. So good for you. That's great. That's really great. I would have never thought to do that. Cool. So now what were some of the successes that you had in the program? Aside from a patent, which is amazing and really big, but what are some of the other high points in your doctoral degree program,
1: yeah. So for me, it was the National Science Foundation fellowship that I I won. I think that really changed the trajectory of my PhD career because I didn't. It wasn't. It didn't start off smooth running. Like my PhD was very rough in the beginning, and so just that fellowship kind of gave me the confidence that I belong and that I was capable of completing the program. If that makes sense. The other thing is the ability and the flexibility to be a part of something more than just the experimental lab part of things, right? Because I was vice president of the Black Graduate Student Association. I was able to build a community there of individuals that I still talk to today. I actually had a panel with them a few days ago where it was just really nice to connect again and talk about, you know, where we are now and what we're learning from our career even after. And the opportunity to, to just work with A lot of the executives at Georgia Tech, I know I was part of like a mentor program at Tech where we brought in individuals like me, like minorities that, you know, in undergrad, they're still trying to figure out things, figure out whether grad school makes sense for them. They have like a whole summer program where they actually do research on on the college campus and get a feel for what a PhD looks like. And so just being a mentor to those kids for that summer program was like amazing because, you It was something I didn't get, but I was glad that I was able to pass on that knowledge to others um, before me
0: as well. Absolutely. Giving back and mentoring college students, especially, I feel like there's something so rewarding about it. I also did a bit of teaching, like summer teaching for summer for college student programs. And yeah, yeah, I feel like every time that I did one, I was like, okay, I can do another year of this. Like the babies need to see, need to see us doing this. I did it for like two years. (laughs) Nice. You also talked about so you had you participated in a good number of extracurricular activities. So why was it so important to you, especially as someone who, you know, you've said that you were really focused on your education? You haven't said this, but I'm gonna say it now. You went straight through, you went straight from your undergraduate to your PhD. And so you were really focused on the work, but still you prioritized doing things outside of school, especially things that had to do with Black people, with Nigerian people, with Igbo people. So why was it important for you to have those extracurricular activities as well?
1: Yeah, so for me, I find myself a jack of all trades. I get very bored with one path i get very bored with one thing and and that would that would kind of drive our conversation when we talk about consulting and all that because i loved the research i loved the experiments but i needed more i needed like a balanced life right i needed the aspect of community. I needed the aspect of work, but I needed to bring those things together to feel, you know, more excited and feel more fulfilled as a whole. Because for me, I think life is all about, you know, the experiences and I wanted my experience to be more than the research and more than the lab. And I saw that I was able to achieve that by going for more, right? For interacting more, for being networking more and uh, communicating with you know people outside of my day to day, and so that's kind of what pushed me to towards the other extracurricular activities, and I was really only able to do that because of the support I had from my advisor, because sometimes with a PhD program, it's really tough to be able to have that flexibility, especially if your advisor is really just focused on the papers, the publishing. But with my group, we found a holistic experience was better than just a a straightforward one path view.
0: Is that, was that quality something that you were able to identify and suss out before you joined the program? Or did did you kind of just like happen to end up in a lab where they actually had work-life balance? did you figure that out during the visit? I did.
1: I did. So it was very important to me, the people aspect of the lab and the group, it wasn't just all about the project. So we had like a dating period, right? Where you talk to multiple advisors, you learn about their research, you talk to their group members to learn about the personality of the group and the advisor and kind of make sure that it works for you. And I really invested a lot of time in doing that in the very beginning. And I think that's what's, Set my set me up for success throughout the program because I knew what I was getting before I got it. So my group was a very well like wanted, everybody wanted to join my group when I first joined. And so just talking to my advisor, showing him, you know, how passionate I was and letting him know, look, I'm graduating in four years, okay? <laughs> like just telling him what my timeline was communicating, just being really upfront about my goals and my like just being open about who I was as a person. He was able to work with my personality and, you know, what I brought to the table. So that I knew was going to happen upfront just because of the conversations I'd had with a lot of people before joining. the
0: So it's really important to do the research, not only on the PI on the principal investigator of the lab, but also the other people in the lab, as well as the culture of the lab before you join a lab. That's also really good yeah. advice. Thanks for sharing that. Okay, so we've talked about some of the successes and high points of the doctoral program. You also slipped in there that you finished finish in four years. Yeah. Okay, wow. Also finish in four years. <laughs> what were mm-hmm. some of the challenges that you faced? If any, I mean, I don't know. You finished in four years. You yeah. had a great advisor. You had time to do all sorts I of things know, on the yes. side.
1: <laughs> like I said, like the very beginning, So I told you I had no idea what grad school was all about, right? And all I knew was, okay, there's money and there's learning. uh, Let's do it. (laughs) So when I first got to grad school, we had like six courses that we were taking that first semester, all engineering, chemical engineering courses, tough courses. After that semester, we're supposed to take like a qualifying exam. And during this qualifying exam, you you have a paper that you read for a week, you make a presentation on the issues that are things that are wrong with that paper, and then you kind of defend your thoughts on the paper. And after that, the the committee or the professors in the room basically ask you a bunch of questions, both chemical engineering related to the paper or just in general, right? And so (laughs) I failed that exam the first time, you know? I failed the exam the first time. The second time I had a death in the family, a lot of like personal issues. Failed it the second time. And honestly, you have two chances, two chances and you're done, right? But Claudia was like, no, I don't. (laughs) I'm here. I am. And so. What happened, I petitioned, actually talked to my advisor, got a lot of support from him, petitioned, talked to them about what happened with the family, talked to them about my plan to make sure that, you know, the next chance I get, I'm going to kill this exam. (laughs) Okay. So I petitioned for that. I got the, the chance to take the exam again, and it was just grind and doubling down for me. I was literally boxed up in this room, just studying my head out. Like I didn't go home for Christmas. I was there all summer. Like I just really doubled down on the work and really had a lot of support from my group mates as well as my advisor. Like, I just even remember when I was in his room, just like crying and like, I don't know, like, how do I, how do I make this work? He's just like, Claudia, you got this. We're going to work on this together. And I remember him like drawing things on the board, like explaining things to me. Like he invested in me, even though I failed two times, he saw in me the ability to succeed. And he he nurtured that. And for that, I would be forever grateful. Because if my advisor had said, no, sorry, you can't do it, even if I had petitioned, it wouldn't have gone through, right? But I had his support and I was able to push through that. And so by the time I got to that exam, I walked into that room so confident. I took the exam and I walked out of the room knowing that there is nothing that they can say that I didn't do right because I knew I knew my stuff at that time. So I just, you know, made sure I understood the fundamentals of the exam, walked in there with confidence that I knew what I was doing and left with the knowledge and the confidence that I would succeed Like, I didn't even need to see the results to know that I had passed because I knew how much I had put in the work, if that makes sense. Uh, So yeah,
0: (laughs) that was the biggest challenge I had in grad school. Thanks so much for sharing that. That was really honest and vulnerable. And I feel like I now, what's the, I struggle with, English phrase, not English, like American phrases sometimes, but I feel like I have a tongue in cheek moment because I was kind of, you know, like playfully joshing you that you had this great experience, like nothing went wrong, but actually you, you definitely went through some things to get your degree. So thanks so much for sharing that. So you talked a lot about your advisor and the support that he gave you. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of identifying an advisor based on their qualities and not necessarily based on what they look like? Or maybe did you? So let me back up a little bit because I do think that there is value in having a black female mentor, but it's just it's really hard to find one, especially in fields like chemical engineering. So how did you, how were you able to see past gender and kind of develop this relationship with your advisor that was really great for your professional and academic career?
1: Yeah. So for me, that's a good question. For me, I was focused on the experiences. I was focused on what others had to say, like the people that have gone through the program with him, the people that have worked with him for years. I was very interested in what they had to say. So I spoke to a lot of the people in their graduation stage. So the people that were about to leave, I spoke to them to really learn. About their experience with him and how he had kind of cultivated them and allowed them to get to the point that they were. And all I could hear were just amazing, amazing things. And even with my interaction with him, you could see that he was all about the business. I love people that are all about the business, especially my career-wise. I love people that are strict, that are because they'll always push, they'll always push you beyond. And he cared a lot. Like he had in him, even in his office, you could see that he cared because he had like caricatures of all the students that have graduated from the group. So he had like pictures of them just hanging all on the wall. You never see that, you know? You never see that. So I could see that even beyond his strict, you know, you gotta get the work done attitude. He still cared. He still formed relationships with those students that they were, you know, he was proud of their work. And so just seeing that from him, even looking at the website, they literally publish all the alumni that have gone through the group and where they are, what they're doing. Those little things show that they care, right? The the website is not just all about his accomplishments. He shows the students' accomplishments and where they are. And so when you pick up on things like that, it's just like, okay, I know this guy's tough, but he's going to push me. that I can get to where I need to be. And so sometimes we need to look beyond what we see visually and kind of notice the small thing. When you hear people talk, just think about, you know, why are they saying what they're saying? What experiences have they had? And how does that shape my own view of this person? And I think that's really what pushed me,
0: yeah, to to go into that direction. That's excellent, excellent advice. He sounds like a fantastic person. <laughs> you talked a little bit about getting the or rather getting Georgia Tech to give you the fellowship that you had won at Virginia Tech. And you've also mentioned an NSF. So was your degree completely funded between those two fellowships? Um, did you have to take out any additional loans? Or was your stipend enough? Let's talk about so let's talk about the money, the dollars.
1: Yep. <laughs> My PhD career was completely free. I did not pay a dime. I actually even got more money from like this presidential fellowship that give like the top 5% of students coming in. So that was really nice. And there were even additional opportunities to get stipends from the mentorship programs that you take part in. So with the NSF, I really did pay a lot of attention to put a lot of work in to the application for that because it's a very competitive process. And so, one advice I would give there with getting the money is using your resources. Your resources are so important. Like I remember going to the writing club, um, like the peop- the writing resource club, to get someone to read my essay. Within the chemical engineering department, we also had someone that was in the communications department that I went to like five times just to review my my essays as well. Even my advisor, I sent him my my pro- my plan uh, or my proposal plan for the NSF, and I got. Him to review that. So use all your resources. Don't always think that you have to do it alone because the 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 resources are there to help. And so I really used that to my advantage. And I was able to to get the the stipend for that. And that actually changed the whole perception of me right within the program because I'm this the only black student there the only black woman in the in the program at the time in my class of 40 I'm there and I failed the exam twice and I'm like okay like I'm not leaving this program I'm here like it's not over and so by the time I got that prestigious fellowship the narrative changed right it now became oh yes yeah, she's one of our best students <laughs> so that's That qualifying exam wasn't the defining moment of my entire life. Yes, it was a setback, it was a challenge, but I was able to push through that by achieving even greater things, you know. And so sometimes people like give up and say, oh, I didn't get it the first or second time. Why am I even here? Let it go. I'm like once you set my mind to something, it's that or nothing else. (laughs) And so that's kind of the the experience for me. And I think it's a good, it's a good way to think about things and just always have a plan A, a plan B. If something doesn't work out, figure out the next thing because you don't, you don't know what God has destined
0: for you, right? So if you give up now, you just never find out. And that was it for me. I'm curious, did you feel like, after you had failed the exam, did you hear like department chatter about you? Were people talking about your, your advisor? Maybe he protected you from that or it just wasn't happening?
1: I didn't hear any of that, actually. I Maybe because I kept it to myself um, and just told the people that needed to know. But it wasn't something that I like went to broadcast or something. And the good thing is I didn't hear it from the students, or I didn't like, I didn't hear, and I wasn't the only one, like, I wasn't the only one, but but I'm glad that at least the department was private enough to keep that information to themselves, and even if people knew. Like I probably wasn't my like I don't it, my my ears are closed to things like that. I don't focus on that. Yeah.
0: Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Just curious if there was any kind of like back to chat about, especially as especially being the only black woman in your cohort in your program. Yeah. If you know there was kind of like an underlying current of well, you know, maybe she's not supposed to be her X Y Z. But either way, whether or not it existed, you definitely showed them by getting that NSF. <laughs> so nice. Okay. So I kind of now want to turn to what you're currently doing now. So you're now working as a consultant with BCG. First of all, did you ever consider an academic career? Did you consider going into industry? You know, you had talked about working for Exxon earlier. Did you consider that? Or how did you get interested in consulting? Yeah, so interestingly,
1: I started when I wrote that NSF application, I actually wrote at the very end because they asked you to tell you, tell them what you're going to do after. And I told them I'm going to run my own energy. company, (laughs) And that is not the thing to say when you're getting a fellowship like that because they want to hear that you want to go into academia, right? <laughs> I was like, you know what? I'm speaking my truth. I'm telling them what I'm going to do. And this is what I'm going to do. And so I had this idea in my mind that I really liked energy. I really liked the research I was doing, but I also wanted to do it in a large scale business sense of things, if that makes sense. So so I said, okay, I don't really know what consulting is all about, but it just sounds really interesting. It sounds exciting. And luckily enough, Georgia Tech has a PhD to consulting club. And so I decided to join the PhD to consulting club to learn a little more. And as I was in the club, I was also exploring, you know, the industry options. I did do an interview with Exxon. Didn't get an offer from them, but I'm grateful I didn't. Um, (laughs) I got an offer from BS which was a lovely company but I just felt like consulting was what I wanted to do so I did explore the industry aspect of things but I knew that I wanted something different and so consulting was an area I began to explore further so I joined the PhDs Consulting Club got to get a better idea of what consulting was all about got to partner with a lot of people that were interested in you know preparing for the cases and the interview process and I really enjoyed the like the idea of it right Because it's Problem-solving, I get to work with executives from Fortune 100 companies. I get to work directly with CEOs and work in teams and travel, which I love. So it just sounded like a full package of what Claudia wants, (laughs) And so that's why I decided to pursue, you know, that aspect of things. And as I learn more, I'm highly interested in specializing in energy. So I'm looking for ways to, you know, take part in projects that are renewable energy, utilities, technology, and how that affects the energy realm. So those areas I'm very interested in. I'm excited to kind of grow and learn more about that as well.
0: Nice. Super cool. So do you feel like, and maybe it's too early to tell, But are you thinking of moving back to Nigeria at some point or are you planning on building your energy consulting firm in the U.S. or maybe having an international or a multinational company?
1: Yeah, um, I I don't know yet. Moving back to Nigeria. Right now, my husband and I just got a house here in Atlanta. So I think for the next few years, we'll be here in Atlanta, just, you know, kind of growing our career and learning right now. I'm in learning phase, just picking up as much knowledge as I can and seeing, you know, how it goes within the consulting world, because there are opportunities for you to run your own little, you know, segment of as an energy, cons- like a specialist in energy within BCG and within like all the consulting realms. So as partner, you get the opportunity to actually like run your own meet, like have direct interactions with clients. And so that's another path of the idea of like owning my own that I'm beginning to foster and kind
0: of like nurture that idea. Awesome. You also threw in there a husband. Do you want to share anything about relationships while in graduate school I feel like it's a mysterious thing how do people make time for anything besides besides books
1: yeah so graduate school relationship was tough especially because my husband is a doctor So his schedule is as busy as mine. But it was also a good thing because we both understood, you know, busy. Because sometimes people don't understand busy, right? You tell them, oh, I'm busy. I have this going on. And it's just like, oh, no, you're just making excuses. But because both of us were busy, we understood busy. And so I think the most important thing was always just finding time for each other and just making that time for each other. And so we both love traveling. So we made travel our getaway, our escape, whenever we wanted to just, you know, connect and like just be, be, we would always just find somewhere to go. And I think that really helped build the bond in our relationship, actually. So, so yeah, travel was a big one, even if it's just a weekend getaway or something to just get away from the busy of life and connect
0: Um, with each other. I think that was very important. Great tip. Great tip. So what's one piece of advice that you have for current Black female doctoral students? Current
1: Black female doctoral students. Yes. The one piece of advice I would say is that you are not alone. And that you should use your resources. Ask for help. Like my entire PhD was a success because I collaborated and worked with other people. I published three first author papers, but I wasn't the only name on that paper. There were other people that were participating in the the paper and made it a, a success, right? So don't be afraid to ask for help. Use your resources. Because... You just never know what idea or what can spark your, your, your thinking by just talking to other people about whatever challenges that you're having. I think that would be the
0: biggest takeaway for me. That's a great, great piece of advice. So is there anything else that you want to share about your doctoral journey or about what you're doing now? Any final parting words? Um, For what I'm doing now, I would say like for those interested
1: in consulting, I know you might be wondering, oh, like how difficult is it to transition from an engineering career to a consulting career? Well, I have a coaching program. It's called the Luminary Advantage. Um, I'll be willing and very happy to chat with you about, you know, any transitions that you're interested in making into the consulting world or even just learning about what I do on a daily basis. I'm happy to share that experience as
0: well. And, you know, we can all grow together. Awesome. We'll definitely make sure to put the Luminary Advantage links in the show notes and in the transcript of this podcast episode. Thank you so much, Dr. okonko for sharing your story, for sharing your journey, both the trials as well as the successes. We are so glad that you took out time to chat with us and share with us today.
1: No problem. Thank you so much, Ijama, for having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thank you again for listening to this week's episode of the Cohort Sisters podcast. If you are a Black woman interested in joining the Cohort Sisters membership community, or you're looking for more information on how to support or partner with Cohort Sistas, please visit our website at www.cohortsisters.com. You can also find us on all social media platforms at Cohort Sistas. Don't forget to subscribe to the Cohort Sistas podcast and leave us a quick review wherever you're listening. Thank you so much for joining us this week, and we'll catch you in next week's episode.